Hi, this is Rebecca Kohler, and you're listening to Yuck Yuck's Comedy Podcast. Listen to the Yuck Yuck's Comedy Podcast, hashtag YYCP, with host Jake Hirsch on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. is going on my little yucca maniacs what is happening what is shaking what is cooking this is your host jake hirsch thank you for joining me you are listening to the yuck yucks comedy podcast the one and only and this is a very special episode folks i know i say that every week but this is truly a special episode for me because we are hitting a, a little milestone here this is episode number 40 that's right Yay. thank you thank you episode number 40 uh wow 40, that means 40 weeks of interviews that I've done here for the Yucks uh, folk, and it, it, it uh, it's just absolutely amazing. The talent I meet, the people I get to hang out with, the connections that I've made, uh, absolutely dynamite. Uh, every episode has been absolutely wonderful. Yay! Thank you. Uh, today's episode, we are doing a way back Wednesday. Reason being is because we had Easter a little while ago and I took a week off of the old podcasting, uh, repertoire, but, uh, I am bringing you a very special interview that I did a little while ago with a good friend of mine, Mr. Spencer Rice. That's right. Spenny Rice, uh, from the, uh, hit show, Kenny versus Spenny. Now, Kenny versus Spenny also does a, a tour and you can see them usually at local comedy clubs, at universities, at colleges, stuff like that. They put on a great show, pretty wild and crazy. Uh, funny little side note to this entire thing was that I had Spenny on the show, and it's just fantastic uh, interview, great guest, talked about some really interesting things, how they came up, how they got together, how things ended up uh, coming to fruition for them and their hit show. But more importantly <laughs> is that I thought, you know what, I've interviewed Spencer now I'm going to go after Kenny. So I reached out to Kenny and uh, great guy, nice guy, emailed me back right away, said, hey, I'd love to do the show. Uh, when when do you want to do it? And I uh, started making plans. And then about, um, oh, I don't know, it's probably a day or two later, he emailed me back and he said, literally, and, and I, I should probably post a, a screenshot of this. He said, uh, wait a second, Spencer... Spencer has done the show already? And I said, well, yeah, I've already interviewed Spencer. And uh, why? Is there a problem? And he said, well, yeah, there's a problem. I'm nobody's second banana. I don't follow Spencer for anything. Either I'm the first one on the show or it doesn't happen. And I kind of laughed it off because I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's just, you know, him being the character. He was dead serious. That's it. No Spenny or sorry, no Kenny. Kenny uh, interview because he said, I am nobody's second banana, especially Spencer Rice's, and I'm never going to follow him. It should be him following me. <laughs> so because I didn't reach out to Kenny first, which I actually did, I actually uh, I actually ended up reaching out to Kenny first, but um, 
I think he was out of the country. I don't know, doing something at the, at some point in time. Uh, I actually reached out to kind of you know to both of them. Uh, I'm 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 a huge fan, and and sitting down with uh, with Spencer Rice was was nothing short of incredible. Very knowledgeable guy. He's been in the business for a long time, and he's just got so much insightful stories, so much uh, passion for what he does, and and you know of course he 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 plays in a band uh, during uh, the off season when they're not. Uh, uh, doing production and stuff like that, um, and of course their traveling show, which is dynamite. But check them out online, uh, and of course go back and watch some of the uh, amazing archives. Kenny versus Spenny, uh, dynamite show, uh, and and really changed a lot of uh, television viewing for a lot of people, not only here but down in the states as well. They've got a lot of popularity down there, a lot of notoriety. So it was really cool seeing a, a Canadian show uh, hit that international uh, fan base. So. What's going on? I'm in week number three, folks, of the amateur comedy competition here at Yuck Yucks in Calgary, Elbow River Casino. It is a great show. We've had some great, great stars uh, come up and, and grace the stage. And it, it's been it's such a wonderful experience because I really believe, and I spoke to this last week, about I think you're really seeing some future stars of the business. So in, in 20 years from now, when I'm living on Skid Row, I can say to people, hey, Hey, I was there when that young man or that young woman took the stage. I hosted that show. And now they don't return my calls. Anyway, uh, it, it's been dynamite. True. Goddamn soundboard. Kira, we need to get something. We need to get some new equipment in here. We're working on some uh, some cool mobile podcasting equipment. Son of a bitch. That is my mixing board. For some reason, it's uh, it's just doing some short. It's going to cause a fire. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy the show today. It is a, a huge one, uh, 40th episode. Ten more episodes, we're going to hit the milestone of number 50, and maybe we can do something fun with that. Uh, maybe a live podcast show. I don't know. I'm throwing some stuff out there. Um, and, of course, uh, keep an eye out for the amateur comedy competition. If you're in town, stop by. Come have a look. Support local comedy. And it's not just here. There are... Tons of them all over, all over the country, all over the exit. Check your local listings, yuckyucks.com. And of course, uh, I know a good friend of mine, Mr. Pat Coppolino, who was on the show as well, also runs a great comedy competition out in Ontario. Look him up as well. Uh, so many great things happening, folks. Stay tuned uh, for this Dynamite interview with my good friend, Mr. Spencer Rice. center of uh of all things cool it's like a it's almost like a little slice of california in the middle of of a big redneck in state republican in the republican uh, state you know? <laughs> that's what i hear exactly exactly so how's how's everything going man uh good uh you know we've been touring and stuff and uh basically have the summer off but i'm doing you know, some writing and this and that and uh, so I'm just having a, a great time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, Kingston's amazing in the summer because it's surrounded by water. And is it? It's just a, yeah, it's just a great little quaint sort of, uh, I guess, small to medium city. Right. And, uh, I love it. So is that kind of where you hang your hat when you're not you're not busy working and filming yeah. and stuff? Yeah. Oh wow. Exactly. Interesting. So. Yeah. I wanted I want to kind of take people back a bit. Now you were you were born and raised in Toronto, though, right? Correct. Okay, and then you, like, as a kid, what was that like growing up in Toronto? Um, 
well, I didn't have really anything to compare it to. Uh, you know, I, I love uh, Toronto. You know, you tend to take for granted the place you're from, right? Which sort of happens. That's a natural thing. But uh, you know, it was good. You know, hockey and uh, you know, friends and partying and all kinds of fun stuff. And, yeah. Uh, getting into comedy and, and show business and, and you know at the beginning and then we went to L.A. for about twelve years and. Came back here. Yeah. Now, what's the connection to Los Angeles? Like your your mom was an actress, right? No, no. Uh, no. Her, my mom left my dad for an actor um, <laughs> who did, who's made movies with David Carradine, and uh, he was Doctor LB on Dallas, Shut which up. was a Sue Ellen psychiatrist, um, which was a semi recurring role. Yeah, uh, but she she when my grandfather died, she uh, she went for what was supposed to be the summer uh, in California and stayed about ten years. No way. So I would subsequently before I ever moved there because I was you know a teenager, I would go visit her in California, which was really kind of amazing because you know all of my friends were up in northern Ontario at you know summer right. camps. You know, <laughs> in Malibu and Point Doom and Hollywood and Sunset Strip and, you know, and just having a really good time and meeting celebrities and just uh, it was rather awesome, I must say. That, that's that's such a that's such a crazy like backstory that, that your mom took off down there. And, and so did you ever get on the set of Dallas or anything or? or... I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I one day I went. Uh, I was on the, the the swimming pool set of South Fork, uh, South, uh, sorry, uh, was it South uh, South Fork, South Fork Ranch, right? And and it was uh, it was inside of you know a studio, so uh, they had the pool, sort of the, the pool there, right? And then you know these set paintings for the you know the the, the fields of the ranch, and I met. Um, I got a kiss, uh, you know, a friendly kiss by Linda Gray. I was mad about Victoria Principal. <laughs> she was she hot, man. She was unbelievably smoking hot. And then, uh, <laughs> as well as, uh, I met Patrick Duffy, who was really, really nice. And no my way. mother, when she first moved to L.A., she lived not far uh, from uh, Larry Hagman, who was, uh, Holy you know, J.R. the group. The, J.R. Ewing, the, the, the jacuzzi god of uh, <laughs> the colony in Malibu. He was always having jacuzzi parties. Yeah. And he hated no smoking because he walked around with a fan. And if you smoked, he would blow the smoke back <laughs> in your face. Get the fuck out of here. You, I, I, you know, California was amazing. Cause, you know, I got to meet some really interesting people. I smoked hash with Scatman Crothers. That was a memorable thing at NBC. No Stadium. way. Scatman Crothers. Uh, it was one of the last seasons of Chico and the Man. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, I had known Scatman, I guess, from, you know, Cuckoo's Nest and uh, The Shining. And yeah. I remember he was on Sesame Street playing the ukulele when I was really young. <laughs> so it was very cool to meet him. And his manager had, like, a big, big, huge big block of hash. <laughs> and he rolled up the joint and smoked it. And that was right in the studio. No way. Uh, in his dressing room kind of thing. So that was very cool. And, you know... It was, uh, you know, you have to kind of love the business to put up with the business. So right, uh, right. I think that's where I, I, I fell deeply in love when I went to L.A., but I still loved it even before that because of my cousin Marjorie Gross, who was, uh, uh, she unfortunately passed away from cancer, but oh, she no. was a stand-up comedian and a writer. She wrote for, uh, she wrote four episodes of Seinfeld. She wrote for the Larry Sanders show. Oh, wow. Newhart. 
and I've been uh, worked with. Hey, girls, shut up. Uh, worked with Ann Beats uh, initially uh, with Sarah Jessica Parker's first show. Uh, forgetting the name of it now. It was a, a school comedy show. Oh yeah, Square Pegs. Square Pegs. Yeah. Yeah. That was her first job, uh, and uh, so. You know, it's just been, you know, really the Beatles, it, for me, it all started with the Beatles when Marjorie turned me on to the Beatles, and it's a, and I'm still madly in love with them, and and it just, you know, brought me into music. I've got a band now, and, you know, I, I really love playing music. It's probably my greatest pleasure, but yeah. the comedy was a more authentic voice for me, given my family's history, and, and just, you know, just, you know, what, what I probably am better at comedy than i am at music but, <laughs> you play uh, guitar though right yeah i have got, i play guitar and harmonica and sing i got a, a band called the besides which is a play on words uh, i'm gonna murder my dogs uh, yeah that's okay? all right man we're, we're all for animal Shut abuse up, on here Rory. <laughs> i'm doing an important interview <laughs> dogs. anyways uh yeah so uh the besides is a four-piece band i'm, I'm the rhythm guitar player and singer and uh, I play with the duo. I play solo and uh, no doing way. a lot of hosting uh, university open mics, right. which uh, pays reasonably well. It's a kind of easy gig. And been doing some road work with Kenny, with Kenny versus Benny uh, live stage show. Um, and uh, so it's keeping me busy. And you keeping, had a lot of uh, stuff on your plate keeping, there. Keeping my mortgage. Uh, you know, paid up, so. <laughs> so, so take me back to, to, to being a kid out in, out in Toronto and, and spending, you know, spending time with your mom out there. And, and is that when you kind of got the entertainment bug? Did you know at that point that that's the field that you wanted I think to get I, into? I think it was really the Beatles was hearing the Beatles. Uh, really? Because yeah, it was weird because even though I was too young to have uh, gone through it at the time, it just so happened that I kind of picked up the my cousin marjorie gave me like the, the the second album it was called the second album i think it was the uk release right and i i had meet the beatles and i kind of got into them in chronological order after the fact and uh you know i what can you say i mean they're just a very special group of uh, artists and, yeah and i just think it all sort of spiraled from there i mean you know i i was a kind of a jock i guess when i was really young and like most uh, canadian good canadians wanted to be a professional hockey player i right. I, I played a lot of hockey and then uh, i sort of discovered the beatles and 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 comedy specifically when i was uh, we had a cottage and I, my grandfather used to bring up 16 millimeter prints of, of marx brothers movies and Fields and charlie chaplin uh, so I, then i fell in love with comedy as well uh, and, you know, I had a band uh, years ago called the Delta Devils in Toronto. I'm going all over the place. No, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, and uh, so that was always a, a huge love of mine, but uh, the comedy was, was special. And, and what Kenny and I basically did was we had this funny friend who actually came out on the last leg of our tour right. who's been on Kenny versus Benny Bobby. He was the guy who uh, I called in, the first one to laugh competition. Uh, he's just an old friend of ours and we thought he was the funniest guy ever and Kenny was a camera guy he knew how to work editing things and we went out and we, we, we shot this full length uh, mock documentary called The Last Days of Toronto where our friend Bobby played this character that he played when he was drunk at parties the sort of big shot <laughs> loser kind of guy right. and uh, we, we, you know, we, we made that movie and I think that more than anything I think really solidified in both of us a that we could do it b we love doing it and uh you know it really started the ball rolling more towards the comedy than the music 
That's crazy. And was it like was it a viable industry back then? I mean, like were you guys? I mean, did you? No, no, no. This was look. You know, one of the things you know when I speak to people who want to be in our business, and they and it's their kids, and they're talking too much about you know what are they going to get paid. Mm-hmm. I immediately know there's going to be a problem, right? Right. Because right. You have to be. You have to. I shouldn't use you know extreme terms like have to because there's always exceptions. But sure. in my opinion. Uh, it, it, it's you know you're going to get a lot further in the in the career and put up with so much of the bullshit that happens and there's a ton of it uh, if you actually love doing it. And, right. You know I'm writing you know art, articles uh, for my friend's wrestling website. I don't get paid a dime for it. I do it because I like writing. Right. Uh, I, the music thing is you know it's not a money thing really. You know sometimes we just break even if we go out in the road, but. You know, we, I do it because I love it. You know, I, and when we made the last days of Toronto, Kenny and I with Bobby when we were kids, there was no money. There was no, we didn't know anything right. really about about that. We just loved the camera and making funny with our friend, and that was basically that. And then we made a documentary called Pitch, mm-hmm. um, which was again a sort of slightly naive attempt at selling a script. Uh, and it was a feature-length documentary, and we, we got a lot of lucky breaks. Uh, a, raising the money was a huge break. Then we got uh, our Super 16 print blown up to 35, and we could start entering festivals. And we traveled the world with this with this movie. Wow. And it was in that documentary that was played relatively straight on my end. And Kenny's Kenny, of course, so he was joking around a bit, but not as much as he would like to. Right. Uh, you know, we, we we saw as we toured with the film different places in Europe and Canada and the United States. You know, people were laughing at us, and we were you know sophisticated enough comedy guys to see that there was this you know uh, classic comedy duo thing going on in our chemistry. Right. It wasn't really planned, or was it? Was just who we were. And it was pretty. Whether there cameras. Yeah. Huh? Oh, I was going to say it's just were, like an organic thing that just kind of came about then. Yeah, like if you hung out with us before we ever had a notion that we'd be doing this, uh, you know, you would have clearly had seen the sort of delineation between Kenny being a little crazier and right. a bit of a shyster and me being sort of the more honest one, the, the straight-laced one. And uh, so, you know, what we basically did was uh, capitalized on that once we saw that there was, you know, people were laughing at this documentary we did called Pitch. Uh, and then we, uh, you know, we got a development deal in California, which was really what propelled us to move there, mm-hmm. as opposed to when I would go visit my mom. And we did the classic, you know, sleeping on couches and all that shit, and uh, sleeping on our manager's couch, and you know, we yeah. had an agent, and you know, trying to get work, and uh, we we sold Kenny versus Benny to USA Network. And uh, they pulled the plug on the pilot when we were about three quarters of the way done. But at that time, I had been to film school. Kenny had uh, been to film school. And when we finished the pilot, gave it to uh, a guy who's Canadian who now basically runs E1 television. Okay. Uh, but back then, I was working for Alliance Atlantis, and, and he saw the pilot. Uh, from what I was told, almost threw up laughing. And, uh, you know, he got us, I think, almost a year later, uh, a 26-episode deal for CBC, which is the, sort of the network in Canada. Right, right. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the main Canadian network, I guess you could say. There's other CTV and whatever. But, uh, and then, you know, they slowly realized what the hell we were doing, and they kicked us off, and we got another lucky break. <laughs> uh, many shows get picked up on a different network after they've been 
thrown off one network, but uh, Showcase picked us up, and we ended up doing, I guess, six seasons with them. Right. And, uh, you know, 93 episodes or something all together in a Christmas special. So and I think what's happened is, and why the tour is successful for us is, you know, we got away with doing all kinds of crazy shit on TV. Right. Uh, that That is now either... Either there's been a conservative breeze that has blown through the industry here or whatever. You don't really see stuff that crazy anymore. Mm-hmm. So the kids who grew up with it, you know, they can't get that kind of stuff anymore. So right. they'll come out to our shows, and, <laughs> you know, and we might be doing the movie. So, you know, they'll come to our movie, Lord willing, because, you know, there's nowhere else. You know, it was sort of Tom Green and then the Trailer Park Boys and us. We were sort of doing this crazy, wild, wild kind of comedy. Yeah. So, uh you know, a lot of lucky breaks, a lot of hard work, a lot of, uh, you know, just, you know, again, I, I don't think people, especially of a certain vintage, I mean, young, youngness really understand all the stuff that Ganny and I know intrinsically about comedy because we were such fans all our lives. Right, right. Um, that plays into that. And I don't care if they know or don't know, frankly. I mean, I when we do the live shows, I actually yell and scream at the audience to go see Mark's Brothers movies and stuff. And it's, it's really like... <laughs> Tell them to pay their dues. Time because it's not going to ever happen, which is to me extremely sad. But that's, yeah, that's the world we live in. Well, no, for sure, and I mean, and I think that's such an interesting like parallel there because. You know, like like you mentioned before about doing this as a passion as opposed to doing it for a paycheck, really. I mean, you got to be willing to kind of suffer. I've got a lot of friends that are in stand-up. And I think nowadays, yeah. this generation anyway, and, and of course I'm speaking in generalities, but I think a lot of people now that kind of come into the entertainment business because of social media, because of, you know, all this type of stuff, they think it's going to be a lot easier of a ride. It's going to – they'll get picked up a lot quicker or they'll – you know, their material is going to get seen a lot faster. I mean, which is true to a certain level, but – the stories you hear about the comics and the people that are sleeping on couches and on the road and, you know, playing in a band that they got to sleep in the van everywhere. And, and I mean, all that shit. I mean, that that's, you still got to do that stuff. Like, you stand know what I mean? Is particularly, stand up is a particularly difficult thing. Right. Um, I mean, years ago, you know, there was the, you know, you know, fraction of a percent that would end up with a sitcom. Right. And now that doesn't really exist. You know, when friends came on, sure. uh, you know, it became actors started doing sitcoms instead of comedians. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple of exceptions here and there. But, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a very... I did that life briefly. I never uh, fully committed to uh, to stand-up. So right. I think the result was I wasn't that good, frankly. Uh, I had some good nights here and there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I got to see how difficult it was to actually make a living doing it. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it made no sense to me. To me... The only thing that made sense was coming up with ideas for shows and executing them either as a director, producer, or or, or being on camera as well. Right. Uh, but but owning some piece of the of the uh, of the the concept of the, of the idea of the series of the show of whatever the hell it is. Right. Um, otherwise, you're you know with with no disrespect to actors, you know you're running around doing uh, you know uh, auditions and. You know that's that's a that's a tough life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So you you went on to study film and television at York University, right? Yeah. Okay. And how important was that process to your career? I mean, obviously, that's getting well, you comfortable. Well, it was. It was really important because uh, because I went in after I had I didn't go in like most kids right out of high school went to university. I went I went out. I was a real estate agent. I experienced some things in life. 
So when I went in, I was uh, one of the few mature students. And the way it worked at York was a certain amount of money would be uh, put aside for these uh, film school productions. You know, every right. year, you know, like first year, you, you wouldn't do sync sound, you know. Right. And by fourth year, you got to make a, like a 15-minute film or something like that. Gotcha. You know, these are universities. They don't have that much money. So the result was that everybody that went to film school all wanted to be, you know, Orson Welles or, you right. know, uh, Steven Spielberg. But the truth was they could only make a certain amount of, uh, of, of, of films uh, just because of the budget mm-hmm. of the university. So everybody would submit their ideas, and uh, the, the staff would pick the ones that would become movies. And if yours wasn't picked, all of a sudden, not only would you not be directing, it's very possible you'd be you know, working the sound on somebody else's uh, <laughs> movie. Right. So because I was older, I think my scripts were a little more mature. Sure. And uh, so I, I got to you know direct, basically... Uh, almost every every time that there was, you know, the opportunity to. And, uh, you know, I made a, a film called Something Anything, which won the best comedy short across Canada with all the universities. I did one called Telehor, which played, it was eight minutes long. It played at the Toronto Film Festival. And right. I actually sold it to Channel 4 in Great Britain because they had a sex week there or something. And this was a documentary about a, a, a big, fat phone sex girl. Right, right. Um, yeah, it was just a short. It was funny. It was very funny. She was funny, and uh, you know, she would be sitting there playing video games, talking dirty to guys, <laughs> and you know, she'd have these interviews saying, you know, they they actually think I'm masturbating. This is my Apple lady that they're hearing, you know. And uh, and it was funny. Feminists loved the film, which was uh, which I didn't expect because it did empower the woman. Oddly enough, sure. she was totally not into it. All these idiot guys are thinking she's hot and she's actually masturbating. Yeah, she's getting off. But um, so, so in that sense, yes, a I had um, I had movies that I could say directed to show people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, when I when I you know left school and went into actual you know show business. Um, I started at the bottom, which right. was the best thing in the world to do, because that's where you learn. And by the bottom, I, I mean a PA, office PA and a set PA, production wow. assistant. Right. Uh, but again, I had those I had those movies to show, uh, which is, you know, the good thing about those jobs is the, the how much you can learn, but also the possibilities of networking when you're driving producers and, you know, doing all kinds of things and being there first and getting leaving last. Sure. So uh, doing volunteer work as well. Uh, but, you know, if you have something, you know, that was relatively good, you could show people, you know, so that a couple of years later, you know, uh, you're in a better position to get out of the PA and then move into producing or whatever the hell it is you want to do. Right, right. So in that way, I would say film school was great. And plus, I had a great prof, uh, documentary prof. And documentary is, you know, really that's what I'm kind of obsessed with, documentary movies. Right. Uh, not so much making them, but watching them. Uh, and that was a result of uh, you know just having a really great prof who just completely turned me on to documentaries, uh, and uh, that was you know that's crazy. Also helpful to me. Yeah, yeah, especially when you meet somebody that's inspiring to you. And uh, so, so tell me well, about the story. I like to yeah, yeah, the story I like to tell which was was you know we had a class and we we screened uh, Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will, the you know Hitler, um, uh, you know. 
where was it? Uh, he had a big rally in, uh, I guess it was Nuremberg. Right. Nuremberg rally, and Reed Finstall filmed it. It's a, considered a pretty classic documentary. And, uh, of course, it's a massive propaganda film. But anyhow, you, you could tell that the prof had seen it, you know, a thousand times. Right. And, and so the class ended, and it was a long, it's like a four-hour movie, so, you know, everybody's exhausted. I left. I went to get a cup of coffee or whatever, and I realized I'd left something in the classroom. And I went back, and this was like a half hour after the class was over. Right. And there was this prof had re-thread uh, one of the reels and was watching it again. You know, and I wow. just said, wow, that's fucking passion, man. No you know, kidding. And he was watching, the, I guess it was the first reel, which was not directed by Riefenstahl, which I learned from him. And that was the famous sequence where Hitler's flying into Nuremberg, and you see the shadow of his plane, like a big cross, right. going across the throngs of people who are cheering for him. I mean, it's cinematically amazing stuff. That's crazy. And, uh, yeah, he was rethreading that. Like, I, I would imagine he'd probably seen that a hundred times, but had to watch it again because he had the print. But anyways, that kind that's, of that's amazing, enthusiasm uh, was uh, amazing to me. That's that's yeah. nuts, man. But he wasn't a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> be clear about that. No, 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 no. Like, no but just having the passion. He was... Uh, he was he was a filmmaker. Hey, Rory, I'm going to put you in the microwave and make this <laughs> No, no, but just like just hearing that passion, right? Just, just like and and appreciating that cinematography and and you know seeing that. I mean, because that's such iconic uh, visions, right? Of of you know Hitler, yeah. you know, coming in and stuff like that. That's 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 pretty. That's pretty deep, man. That's pretty. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It was, uh, quite amazing. Interesting. Amazing movie too. So so it's just frightening as it is. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Tell me about teaming up with uh, with Kenny and and I know that you guys got together. One of your first things was uh, it don't it don't cost nothing to say good morning about. Uh, yeah, that was so what Gordy. happened. I mean, really, our our fathers knew each other, so we had known each other for quite a while, but were never really connected. Right. And then then we were in high school together, junior high. I can't remember. And. Uh, that's when we, at some point, decided to do this movie with Bobby, this this mock documentary called The Last Days of Toronto. Right. And then, I think, doing that, and there was no, any inkling of giving it, having it aired, or, or anything. It was just, we just made it and cut it, and we, we screened it at a bar for our friends to see the Bobby movie. And then, I guess, sometime around then, I was living with my dad, uh, and there was this little hobo who was a neighborhood icon, like he was extremely funny, he was a dwarf, he was completely homeless, he was a, a, a incredibly horrible alcoholic, but he had been there for so long at right. this little alcove off of Young Street that everybody knew him, and he'd be sleeping on the bench, and people would honk, and his arm would go up waving <laughs> without even <laughs> opening his eyes. Like, and, and, you know, Kenny... You knew him too, and we just said, "Let's just. Why don't we make a movie about him?" And you know, the the idea there was well, it was really kind of funny because uh, when we we did the movie, we had CBC sent a news person over uh, to to cover us making this movie about Gordy. Right. And uh, it was Donna Friesen. Now Donna Friesen eventually worked for NBC for years and years, and now she's come back to Canada and is uh, the anchor on one of the big networks here, right. uh, their evening news. Um, yeah, so that was, it don't cost nothing to say good morning, and, you know, there, there's so many funny stories around that, where we got him out of detox, and the only way he would come with us if we all bought him booze, and then we <laughs> thought he drank himself to death, and it was one of the coldest days in Toronto. And oh, man. We really thought we killed the guy, and we didn't, of course, but, uh, uh, anyways, 
he ended up getting hit by a car uh, and dying. So Holy this, shit. You know, really moving ending to this movie about this crazy guy. And we did everything in our power to make it this ode to Gordy without having any hint of social, you know, right. justice or homelessness or anything like that. We just sure. wanted it to be this. He was funny and we thought he was funny, so let's just glorify him as we, we loved him. And then, uh, yeah, it was, we did that. And then I guess the next thing was Pitch, which was the the feature-length documentary that got into the Toronto International Film Festival. And that sort that of got really a started ton of as, cameos, right? Like you had Roger Ebert, Neil Simon, Al Pacino. You had a bunch of people in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Neil Simon story is actually my favorite because uh, we were we shot part of it in Toronto, part of it in L.A. And when we were in L.A., uh, we went to get lunch somewhere and... Kenny noticed Neil Simon working, uh, not working, uh, waiting for his car at a valet parking. Right. And we literally walked up to him and we pulled the Jewish card. We're Jews from Toronto. You know, we're doing this movie. I'm pitching a script. You're, and he literally was like the heartbreak kid, the original one with the, <clears throat> with, um, uh, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, my favorite comedic actor. I can't even think of his name. Oh, Charles, yeah. Charles Groden. Charles Groden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eddie Albert, Sybil Shepherd was our favorite movie. So, so we told him, "Can we please just? We won't take long. Come over. You know, we just want to interview you." And he begrudgingly, because he's a nice guy, said, "Yeah, okay." And he gave us an address, and we show up, and it's like his office. Wow! And he had no idea that we were film filming. He thought we were just radio guys. Right. So we we show up with like you know ten ten gear boxes, and, <laughs> you know, equipment, and he's going. What are you doing? I said, well, we're, we're making a movie. He goes, well, you didn't tell me that, but he let us in, and we, you know, we filmed them. And, no way. Um, yeah, so that, you know, that, that was, you know, again, the movie that put us sort of in the position of being on camera and realizing we were funny. And uh, then we got, the, you know, a development deal, and the rest is uh, that got us to Kenny versus Penny. So. That's crazy. Now, did you, I mean... You mentioned before about you know how many times you guys kind of gone through the whole Kenny versus Spinny, like you know obviously pitching the show and getting canceled one time and then having to bring it to some other people. Did you know like were you pretty were you pretty? I mean, did you guys just know like no like we're not going to quit on this like we know we got something going here and and we know that we're going to uh, just no, keep pushing I, for it. Actually, no. I think every time it died. We thought that was it, you know. Mm-hmm. We did finish that first pilot that USA Network pulled out of. Right. Um, I, I would say maybe Kenny was much more of a believer than I was in right. general. That's just his nature. But, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest shock was the order of 26 episodes from CBC. I think at that time we had sort of moved on. Uh, we both were staying in L.A. I, at the time, you know, was working illegally at farmer's markets waiting for my green card to come. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and then it just happened. Like, I remember being at the farmer's market working, and, and uh, our manager and Kenny came up and said, we sold 26 episodes, which was a huge order. Holy shit, that uh, is, Especially yeah. for, for two guys who had never done, you know, episodic or, you know, the series before. So, it, it, you know, it was just, uh, yeah, I mean, we thought it was dead every time. And, and uh, I, I never would have thought Showcase would have taken it after CBC kicked us off. But right. It just, to not go away, you know. So that's that's crazy, and it's it's you guys have done what seventy two episodes now? <laughs> no, ninety something. Ninety something. Yeah. Wow. It was never uh, the show was too filthy to be, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it when you get uh, 
100 episodes, you can go into syndication. syndication. Right. Uh, it was too dirty to do that, you know. Right. Uh, would have, we would have had to re-edit, you know, so many episodes. It never made any sense, so we never had that. Uh, which would have been, you know, the cash cow of all cash cows, but that that was just too crazy. The show was too nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, but like I said, the kids fucking love it. Oh man, still do. I mean, I'm, kids are coming up to us at the live show saying, "I grew up with you guys," which makes me feel like an old fart. But, you know, <laughs> sure enough, they did. Right? They watched it when they were nine, ten years old, and now they're, you know, yeah, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and that's and they remember. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and and I know you've probably been asked this a hundred times, but but fuck it, I'm going to ask you again. But what, what for that process for that show? What I mean, obviously, there was a bit of naivety, I guess, of of you know knowing that you're going into every competition with with you know Kenny being you know pretty uh, pretty huckster, pretty pretty shyster about stuff. Yeah. I mean, we call it cheap. <laughs> uh, or being a scumbag. Jesus. No, look, we, I, I, knew, I knew from before we ever had a TV show, Kenny was like that. I right. mean, that's just who Kenny is. So there was no naivety. What there was on our part was a, conscious, uh, a, a consciousness about producing the show in such a way that I was in the dark. And, uh, about what he was up to. I didn't know what was coming and when it was coming. Right. And then also... That you know, if I'm going to be the quote-unquote straight man, I'm going to do the competitions. Like no sure. matter what, like right. I'm not going to go hide in a hotel room because then you got no show. So there's there's certain realities that when you're producing television that are foisted upon you. That that would be one of them. Right. That you've got to produce a show and and it has to be good and you have to be in it. So it made no sense. The only thing that made sense to us was. Uh, we each, uh, you know, we pick competition. We each separately go do our content. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone on the crew. So I would step out of the room when Kenny would pitch the production team. Uh, we were directing. You know, basically, I was directing my stuff. He was directing his stuff. So I go in and I pitch the production team. This is what I need. This is what I'm going to do. This is da 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 da. Then I would leave the room and Kenny would do his. So my camera guys were aware of what he was going to do. And I had agreed to not be told and not know because right. it was the only way to, to keep any semblance of reality with this, with, with the series mm-hmm. like this. Right. So, uh, so that was how we did it. And that's how, I mean, I do think, you know, there are moments in the series that, you know, where you put the music in and this and that, and it seems maybe like it's fake, but, you know, oddly enough, those are the scenes that were extremely real. We tried to keep everything real. Of course, you can't keep everything sure, real sure. in a situation where you have, you know, three days to shoot an episode and, right. you know, there's money on the line and, People are expecting, you know, footage in a, a finished episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had the humiliation, which was a good structure to end it. And, you know, the competitions would only be as long as, obviously, you know, the three-day shoot. They generally didn't go much longer than that. Right, right. Uh, there exceptions. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a challenge to, to keep it real. But I think fundamentally... As I said earlier, the, the the classic comedy dynamic, and then the natural chemistry of just two guys who actually have known each other their whole lives, right. have spent you know thousands of hours together before there was ever a, a hint of a television show, knowing each other so well, uh, knowing how to push each other's buttons, uh, or, or have my buttons pushed is probably more appropriate. I don't really know how to push <laughs> any buttons because his buttons are already pushed to begin with first thing in the morning. 
And uh, so, you know, it's capitalizing on, on that natural chemistry, which, you know, it's really, you can't really buy that. You can't have actors do that. It's, it either exists or it doesn't exist. And, yeah, yeah. And with Kenny and I, it, it existed since we were kids. So. And, and did that ever did ever place any type of a strain on your guys' friendship at all? I mean, oh, obviously. Oh, my God. We, we, it destroyed our friendship without question. And we're just now, having done the tour together, starting to, you know, connect again as friends. I mean, we were as close as could be, and then the show just destroyed us. And I think <laughs> South Park, too, with, with uh, Kenny, worked with them for a bit, and they executive produced uh, season four when we were on Comedy Central. Right. The Kenny's meanness just, you know, tripled right. uh, being around those guys, because as brilliant as they are, they're they're mean. Their humor is mean. They're, right. You know, I, I, don't, I don't mean on a personal level as much as, you know, just where they come from comedically and right. what they expect. So Kenny got even meaner, which even put more of a strain on the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, again, we were sophisticated enough to know that, you know, this show isn't going to work if we're loving each other. And exactly. I, I like it. I, I liken it to a game face, you know, right. uh, which is Kenny's got his game face on when we're on camera. And his game face is a scumbag Machiavellian cheater. And I've right. got my game face on. And we do the show. But it did affect us even after the cameras uh, were turned off. You know, that we didn't hang out together, we didn't want to see each other. It was just a lot of tension. But it's nice. The touring's nice because even though we fight and, you know, squabble with each other on stage, it's not nearly as intense as, as what the series was. And if we do the movie, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if we only need a year or two break from each other after, <laughs> after that. You know? Oh, man. And that episode, I, I'd, I'd have to say, uh, well, there's definitely a couple that stand out to me. One, the, the, the smoke and weed one where you just had a complete meltdown in the basement. And then uh, the, the wrestling one with the Iron Sheik. You took some pretty yeah, good that, fucking lumps there. That's one that's one of my favorites because I'm a wrestling fanatic. But, right. Uh, Kenny never really liked it. I think he's coming around a bit. I actually wrote an article on that, on the making of that show for ginlock.com. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, but the funny thing is with the series, with all these episodes, you'll, every, you know, you know, every week someone will say that some, one of them was their favorite that would, you know, you wouldn't even think of could be their favorite. Right. So it's, it's completely like very few people tell me the wrestling one is, uh, is special. Oh, uh, yeah. you know, but you did but that's the way it goes with this series you know some guy came up to me a week ago and said oh that one where you didn't stop dancing was my favorite first one to stop dancing was, in the minivan you yeah. know I forgot about that one you know it's like okay so yeah. it's very it's got a very eclectic kind of uh, feel and, and, and we like to think of each one as its own movie almost in a way each competition because right. there's no if you notice the series doesn't you know, there's no storylines that run through episodes or anything like that. It's the competition, and then that's over. There's a humiliation, and then we move on to another one. And they're all separate little pieces of our to us. Right. That's how we see it. Right, you know, right. All different people have have different favorite ones. You know? For sure, for sure. So before I let you go, tell me a bit about the music aspect. I, I know you mentioned before you're, you're playing rhythm guitar, you're doing vocals and stuff like that. Uh, is that something that you're going to continue to do? Is that just a passion that you're you're just like, hey, as long as, I, as I'm having fun, I'm just going to keep on rocking and rolling with it? Well, I think, I mean, one of the things that happened to me was when we shot the cockfight episode mm-hmm. uh, in Penny vs. Spendy, I can't remember what season, it may have been the last one, right. where we weaponized our penises, and <laughs> I cut my finger, and, you know, you saw me bleeding, but it was a pretty severe cut. I severed the nerve on my index finger on oh, my shit. left hand, which is my cord hand, 
and my lead guitar, you know, hand, my scale hand. And, and I, I stopped playing for almost two years because wow. my finger was completely numb. Even though the surgeon, when they reattached my nerve, said, you know, you should play because, you know, it'll help heal you. And finally, after two years, I started again. So, you know, music for me is, a, I play every day, you know. Right. I, I, I play solo with, you know, sort of country blues with the, with the harmonica. Uh, getting back into band playing, which I hadn't done in 25-odd years, has been terrific. And that's I've got great musicians here in Kingston that work with me. I'm very lucky. Uh, but they're all, you know, married with kids and sure. jobs. So it's hard to, you know, uh, rehearse as much as we probably should. So we just gig here and there. Right. Uh, to, be, to be honest, I don't think that it's an option to do it professionally. If for no other reason than the kind of music we play... You know, we play basically classic rock. Uh, it's called the besides, but it's a play on words, meaning B-sides of, you know, 45 RPM records. In other words, the lesser known, sure. less popular songs. Uh, and, you know, we do everything from Dylan, the Beatles, you know, Stones, Chuck Berry. And, uh, you know, you, you don't have to look too far to see that the direction the music is headed in, in the popular culture is far from that, it seems. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really just a labor of love for me. Uh, you know, we don't we don't like to we don't like to spend money playing. Right. Uh, so breaking even is sort of our you know if we if we go out to Montreal or to Toronto or wherever, you know. But it, it makes touring, which would be so much fun, almost out of its question. Right. Because it's you know it's so expensive to do that with hotels and even gas and all that oh, yeah. stuff. But that would be great. But you know you you never know. I play guitar when I host the open mics on the university campuses by myself and. Uh, if I brought the boys with me, it would no one would make any money the way I could make some money. But uh, yeah, it's just it's a labor of love, I guess. You know, and I can't really imagine. We're starting. We just wrote a song. Actually, I wrote one, uh, at least lyrics, and uh, collaborating with Paul Stoss, my guitar player, and uh, you know, we're going to start to do original material. Again, I can't imagine uh, it going more than just the shits and the giggles thing that we're doing. But right. take it very seriously. Don't get me wrong, and we're good. It's just, you know, the music business, you know, I think it goes politics, music, and then the show business, what I do, as the worst <laughs> occupations in the world uh, in terms of, you know, making money and, uh, you know, and, and making it happen. So I have no delusions that the music business is anything but just a, uh, as what is Hunter Thompson called the movie business, a shallow, cruel money trench. <laughs> yes. Where, you know, we're good. Good men die like dogs. Right, like that. Right. So, you know, so I think it's important to have proper expectations uh, for this stuff. But I love it. I, dude, I love it. Oh man, well that's awesome, man. It's good to, to see that you got a lot of you know passionate stuff. You know, outside of just the uh, the TV business and and. Uh, and stuff like that. You're keeping yourself busy, and and people can find you on Twitter at uh, at Spenny, and uh, you've got a you got a kick-ass website, man. I was really impressed with that w- website layout. It's yeah, Spenny TV, right? Yeah, and then uh, also uh, Facebook, uh, which is just a complete sewer, you know, of, <laughs> of people channeling Kenny and beating up and trolling me. But I I love it, man. I, I'll engage with anyone, you know. That's it's, awesome. It's, it's, I couldn't care less. It's just so much fun to. 
Oh man. Well, hey, when you guys, uh, when when you when you get some more time, I'd love to have you back on the show, man. And 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 thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to 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 talk to us and 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 to tell us a bit about uh, your background and stuff, man. I think it's something that uh, a lot of people don't really know about. I think they just you know they kind of have that face, uh, you know, with the with the TV show. But yeah, no, I'm the I'm the I'm the idiot that uh, that got blown by a tranny. That's basically. <laughs> All right, folks. There you have it. Episode number forty. Mr. Spencer Rice, Dynamite interview. Like I said, a very knowledgeable guy, very funny guy, and uh, go check him out. Spencer Rice from the hit show Kenny vs. Spenny touring a city near you. Hey, thanks again for listening, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed the Wayback Wednesday post of this episode. Look forward to some new ones coming out in the upcoming weeks. Stay tuned. we got some great shows lined up for you. On behalf of myself, your host, Jake Hirsch, and all the folks over at Yuck Yucks, Mr. Mark Breslin. Of course, our executive producer, Kira Williams, and our webmasters on the one, twos, and threes, Miss Camille Sorovi. And, of course, special thanks to my boy, Lane Argue, who does all the tracks for the show and uh, hooks me up with that, uh, that fat-ass beat in the very uh, intro and uh, middle of the podcast. Thank you. Check him out, Lane Argue, folks. Talented musician and artist. Once again, thanks for listening. Check us out on Twitter. And, of course, tweet me at jkirschbg, hashtag YYCP. We will see you next week.